Welcome to the Evident Church Podcast. It's our hope that through this message you'll gain a greater understanding of God's relationship with you and further your life's journey in faith. Me and thanking the worship team. Appreciate them so, so much. And it is so good to be together. Uh, we're honored that you took the time to uh, join us this morning. My name is Josh, and I have the privilege of being lead pastor of this uh, crazy group of people. Um, how are you guys feeling this morning? Outstanding. All right, that's good. That's good. Um, so uh, I want you to know this. This is the main idea for today. And I'm going to have you guys say this with me. Um, So here's the main idea. The main idea is this, is that God wants something for you and not from you. So we're going to say it, we're going to personalize it. We're going to say, God wants something from, for me, not from me. You guys ready? Okay. God wants something for me, not from me. Are you scared yet what we're going to talk about today? Let's say it one more time. God wants something for me, not from me. And so I'm going to ask if you'd give me the opportunity uh, as a pastor, as your pastor, for the next few minutes um, to share. And we're going to continue in this series uh, called Love Rules. Uh, It's a series where we're taking a new look um, at the Ten Commandments found in the Old Testament. And uh, what we said the whole series reminding us is that we don't get to heaven uh, by keeping these rules. And everybody said... Amen. You should, right? It might be easier if we could just check them off the list, but newsflash, none of us can keep these rules. We've broken all of them, all right? That's why we need Jesus. So we're not saved by keeping rules. We are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Amen, church? That God saw our situation. We needed a Savior, and he sent us a Savior. If he knew we needed a politician, he would have sent us a politician, If we knew we needed a medical doctor, he would have sent us a medical doctor, but he knew we needed a savior, and so he sent us his son. That is the foundation of our faith as followers of Jesus. He paid the price for us, and we're not perfect, but he is helping us to grow. So these love rules or these commandments are not given to us as a way to be made right with God. They're given to us to teach us how to love God and how to love other people. Verse 4 deal with how to love God. Uh, next six, deal with how to love people. Uh, today's is, seems very basic, but it's also very challenging. So here's what we're talking about today. We're looking at commandment number eight found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 15, and it says this, four words. It says, you shall not what? Steal. Steal. All right, let's pray. I think we're done. It's pretty simple. <laughs> in fact, it's even simpler in the Hebrew. It's two words in the Hebrew. It's no steal. That's all it is. No steal. Uh, But what's crazy, as simple as that is, we are not very good at not stealing. Uh, I found out this week that Walmart alone loses $3 billion a year from theft. I was curious what the top 10 most stolen items were from a retail, retail store. So here's the list. Number one, designer clothing. Uh, I'm not sure they have that at Walmart. Um, number two, jeans. Uh, number three, razors. Ladies, is that you? <laughs> you got some really hairy legs? I don't know. <laughs> number four, uh, this one uh, made my heart hurt a little bit, baby formula. Number five, designer handbags. Ladies, man, goodness gracious. Number six, 
<laughs> Number six, laundry detergent. Has some stinky clothes. Number seven, uh, cigarettes. Number eight, high-end liquor as opposed to low-end liquor. <laughs> number nine, jewelry. And number 10, you'll never guess number 10, teeth whitening strips. Who knew, right? Who knew? Who knew? If I can just get my teeth whiter, maybe I will get the job, and then I'll have the money to buy more teeth whitening strips. I don't know. We're going to be honest for a second. Uh, we try to keep it real here at Evident. Uh, how many of you be honest and raise your hand and admit that you, at some point in your life, have stolen something? My hand is up. So the rest of you are lying. No, if your hand's not up, you, you're lying. You've stolen something. Um, so here's confession moment for me. Uh, Apparently, second grade was a rebellious streak for me. Um, so in second grade, I loved the chocolate milk that they served at lunch. And uh, I know, it's just amazing. <laughs> that's, our, that's our weakness. <laughs> oh, man, if I'm not careful, this service is going to get out of hand. Uh, we don't have another one after this, so we can go all day. <laughs> but, um, so, uh, the, but I noticed the girl in front of me. Uh, in those open desks where you can slide your books in, you put the pencils in a little tray. I noticed in front she had a stack of quarters, and I don't know what came over me or where I learned this uh, skill or this instinct, uh, but I went and I, I, uh, I leaned over on her desk like I was talking to her. Before I knew it, my hand slipped in her desk, and I grabbed the quarters and I pocketed them, and I walked back to my desk. She didn't have a clue what happened, and I honestly don't remember any more of the rest of the story. Uh, I, I maybe blacked out. I don't know. Like, I don't know if, if I returned it. I honestly don't remember. Or I just drank a bunch of chocolate milk at lunchtime, and I just, like, had it pouring down my mouth and my stomach. I don't know. But uh, it was wrong. it's wrong, right? It's wrong. Whether it's $1.25 or it's a million dollars, it's wrong. Um, here's a definition uh, to steal. To steal is to take something that belongs to someone else without permission. And there's lots of ways, like it could be going into a store and taking something. There's lots of ways, though, that we might find ourselves doing this. Uh, I was thinking of students, for example. Plagiarism is an example of stealing, isn't it? Trying to get a grade based off of someone else's work. Um, I'm going to try to step on as many toes as I can. Uh, when you're filling out your taxes, is that stealing? It is, right? I'm not saying the government is stealing from you. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if you're... If you're tempted, <laughs> I got to finish, I got to put in my thoughts. If you're tempted to, uh, you know, for me as a pastor, I get paid sometimes uh, doing weddings and funerals, and oftentimes I get paid in cash. Uh, I need to report that income, don't I? Yes. And pay tax on that, don't I? And if I'm not, I'm stealing. <laughs> I am, I am, I am. And so are you. And there's lots of ways, right? There's lots of ways that this can happen, but we need to be paying attention. Uh, Proverbs says this. Uh, says, these men lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush only themselves. Such are the paths of all who go after ill-gotten gain. The Bible calls it ill-gotten gain. It takes away the life of those who get it. So we think we're gaining by taking. We're actually hurting ourselves more than we realize. Um, so what I want to do today is I actually uh, have been planning this for a few months and um, I want to use this as an opportunity to talk about another way that I think many of us might be robbing or stealing that we are not aware of. And what I'm going to be talking about is what the scripture teaches about uh, giving and about tithing. And I know that as soon as I talk up and say those words, there's like a collective tension 
and you tighten up and you grab your wallet. And there may be legitimate reasons for that, but I just want to ask you to trust me as your pastor for a few minutes and allow me to teach from God's word, and then you pray, and then you decide what God wants you to do. Can we, have, can we make that arrangement? Yes. Yes. I think you guys know me well enough. You've been a part of our church, and I'm not going to use God's word to, to beat you up, but lovingly say uh, what I believe Scripture teaches. Remember, the, the main idea for today is what? God wants something for you and not from you. I believe that's so relevant uh, for this topic. So let's, let's read... Um, Matthew chapter, I'm sorry, Malachi chapter 3. And let me pray first uh, before we get into that. Uh, Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are here. We thank you that you are with us. We thank you that you speak through your word. And most people who are here this morning maybe didn't know what the topic was. And, uh, but you did, God, and you know where each person stands. And you are good enough to lovingly speak to whatever is going on in our lives. I pray that you use this time today for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I'm going to read to you from um, an Old Testament prophet uh, known as Malachi. And it's Malachi chapter 3, verses uh, 6 through 11. It says this. This is God speaking to the prophet Malachi. He says, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? And God answers, will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? And God replies, in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, it says, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. It says, bring the whole tithe. Say whole tithe. Whole tithe. Into the storehouse. Everybody say storehouse. storehouse. That there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, For yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. And I want to encourage you to especially listen in today and lean in. I think all of us would say finances are a stressful area of our lives. Would we all say that? I don't know anybody, even people who have lots of money that we would say have lots of money, finances are still stressful. But I do believe God wants to encourage you today. So one of the things I enjoy doing and one thing I think is helpful is to point out that there are parallel uh, spiritual laws just as there are physical and natural laws, right? This is a great teaching and idea. So there's natural laws, physical laws, such as gravity. That's one of my favorites. How many of you like gravity? All right. <laughs> I'm sure you don't think about that, but... It keeps me grounded. It ke- oh, wow. keeps me grounded. Oh, my goodness. Okay. I got to keep going. So the way that natural laws work is that they are consistent. They, they exist. They just are. You can't change gravity, can you? You can't resist gravity. It just is. Every time you drop something, it will fall to the ground. It just is. It is a physical law. There are also spiritual laws that operate the same exact way, that they just are. 
the things that God has established. And they, they exist whether we like them or not. They are true whether we follow them or not. The principle of tithing is one of those spiritual laws. God says, if I give you all of this, I want to know, can I trust you with it? The truth is, when we don't tithe, we'll talk about what that means in a second, we're robbing God of our heart and ourselves of our future. What God just said to the prophet Malachi is that you're robbing me by not returning to me the tithe. And he says, as a result, your finances are not only not blessed, but they're also possibly cursed because you're not living according to what I have created. Now, please hear me on this. This is encouraging. Tithing is not a salvation issue. Can we all just say amen? Amen. We talked about the fact that we're saved by our faith in Jesus Christ, okay? So let's just take a deep breath on that. But it is a blessing issue. It's just like as we're working with our kids, as our kids grow older, we don't give them everything, all the responsibility all at one time, do we? We give them a little bit of responsibility and we see how they respond to it. It's the same thing with tithing. God says, I'm giving you this. I'm asking you to return the first tenth and I'm gonna see if you're proved trustworthy and then I can bless you with more. It wouldn't make sense, right, to give the whole lot right at the beginning if they're not trustworthy with what we've given to them. And if they're actually stealing from us, there might even be some consequences and punishment if our kids were stealing from us. And we'd be considered good parents if that was the case. You guys tracking so far? So I'm not sure why all my illustrations lately are headlining our youngest daughter, Annabelle. (laughs) But this one does as well. (laughs) Um, So a few years ago, uh, I had a, a whole bag full of Skittles. And uh, kids, my kids wanted the Skittles, but I was talking with Annabelle. The other kids were off playing. And I said, okay, Annabelle, here are six Skittles. Uh, I want you to give two of them to each of your other sisters, and you can keep two of them. And she looks at the Skittles in her hand, and the wheels are turning. <laughs> She's going, I don't know that I want to pass these on. <laughs> and, but as her dad, right, I've got the whole bag of Skittles in, in my hand. <laughs> I'm saying, Annabelle, trust me. Trust me, if you will be generous, if you will prove faithful with this, there's plenty more where that came from. That's exactly what God is doing. He doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. He wants to use this to change your heart. So what is tithing? Literally, the word means, the word tithe means tenth part. Tithing is returning to God the first 10% of our income through the local church that we belong to. The Bible teaches what I would call first fruit, proportional, storehouse, giving. So first fruit, meaning the first 10% off the top, right? Uh, That talks about priority. This is most important. The second, um, uh, proportional. I'm thankful that God doesn't say give this certain amount. It's proportional to what he has given to me. And that talks about... um, about percentage. Then the third is storehouse giving. Malachi said, return the whole tithe to the storehouse. That is a reference to place. So essentially this, that you are to give where you grow. We see this as a New Testament pattern that they brought their offerings, their tithes and offerings to the leaders of the church, and that they would use God's wisdom to help distribute those resources. So you give where you grow. If you grow here, you give here. He also points out a difference between tithes and between offerings. 
A tithe is the first 10% that we return to God through the local church, and offerings are anything above and beyond that that God moves you to give to and to be a part of. We return the tithe because it's not ours. We give offerings. So why would a, a normal, sane, rational human being do this, right? That's a lot of money. It's a big percentage. I'm, I've got a couple practical reasons. Number one, if you're a follower of Jesus, we would do this, first of all, out of obedience to God. Secondly, we would do this to acknowledge God's blessing and God's control. Number three, we would do this to break the back of materialism in our lives. Number four, we would do it to show our dependence and trust in God. And number five, we would do it so that the work of God continues. This is not an exaggeration. Let me ask this question. How many of you would love to see world hunger uh, taken care of? Go ahead and raise your hand. I am definitely baiting you into something, okay? Just so you know. <laughs> this is not an exaggeration, but if Christ followers around the world would live according to the principle of the tithe, we would be able to eliminate world hunger like that. Worldwide illiteracy like that. World missions funded like that. If only followers of Jesus were to take God seriously and take him at his word. Isn't that crazy? So all of you just said you want to eliminate world hunger. Let's do it. Let's go. Let's get on board. That could happen if we took God at his word. One of our challenges here as a church is our space constraints. We love and we're we're thankful for what God has blessed us with. Uh, But we have plans that this is only step one of a multiple-step process in our facilities. Did you guys know that we are planning seven Christmas services this year? And I'm I'm excited. Like, I'm, yeah, it's exciting. I'll do whatever it takes. Um, And, you know, I'm like the guy in Elf, right? Is there sugar and syrup? Then yes, you know, um, but we're just in that, in that season. And uh, go ahead and show, uh, show the picture. This is, you've probably seen it on our wall in the lobby. Um, but we believe that God has, has called us and led us. Uh, this is only step one of step two. Uh, we plan on adding on a, uh, completing the building by adding on a modest auditorium. And then the building at that point, will, all the ratios would be right with, with rooms and kids and all that kind of stuff. And um, many of us are finishing up a four-year capital campaign called Next called The Next Campaign, that began in the fall of 2015. And many people have given faithfully over these four years so that we could be where we are right now. The number one factor keeping us from moving ahead with step two, what do you think that number one factor is? <laughs> right? Practically speaking, it's finances, right? It's the level of our regular giving as a church. Just putting it very plainly to all of us, when we don't give, it hurts the church. When we don't return the tithe to God through the local church, it hurts the church. It hurts the church. I was trying to figure out, okay, God, because we, we know God calls us to be generous even as a church, right? That we're not supposed to hoard resources as a church. And I'm always wanting to make sure that uh, we're, we're where we should be. And I was curious, this, this year for 2019, what have we been able to do as a church? And um, I was looking over this past year, in the first part of the year, uh, through our Christmas uh, services last, at the end of last year, we were able to sponsor a well in another part of the world, a freshwater well. It was a couple thousand dollars. 
we were, we were able to do that. We're excited about that. We were able to sponsor a Youth for Christ club at, at a local school for the next two years and began going on down the list. And in all, this year alone, through our benevolence giving and everything else, over $33,000 have gone out from us as a church family to help those in need and to do something beyond our walls. Isn't that awesome? That is worth celebrating. It's really good. And you guys may not always know about these things, and I'm sorry for not doing a better job of celebrating them with you, but that's what happens when the people of God um, live out this principle. So let me ask this question. Why would God ask us to do this? Why would God ask you to do this? And there's one easy answer, because God knows our heart. He knows our heart, that this is actually a heart issue and not a money issue. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 24. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I wish Jesus would be a little bit more clear with us. What are you trying to say, Jesus? Oh, you're saying we can't serve two masters. Okay, we're saying we can't serve money and you at the same time. Pastor Jason Isaacs said this. I thought this was really helpful. said, God doesn't ask you to give because he needs it. What does it say? He asks you to give because you need it. That is the truth. Tithing is a test. It's a test for you, and God knows that if he can trust you with this, he can trust you with more. It's just like my kids. If they prove prove trustworthy with what I give to them, I know that I can trust them with more. This is the same exact thing. So I want to take a few minutes then and talk about what are some of the objections. And there's lots of objections running through our minds. The first one is this, does God expect us to do this today? Isn't this an Old Testament thing or does God still expect us to do this today? Here's what we see in Luke chapter 11. Jesus talking with the Pharisees, um, some religious, a religious group says, because you Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give a tenth of your mint, your rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. So what is he saying? They were, they were hardcore tithers. Even everything from their garden, they were giving a tenth of that. He says, you guys are missing the boat because you're neglecting justice and the love of God. But then he goes on to say, you should have done both. You should have not neglected either one of those. Don't neglect love and justice, and also don't neglect the returning of the tithe. So God does still expect us to do this. I believe that tithing is the the floor and not the ceiling of Christian giving in the New Testament. It is the starting point of our generosity as followers of Jesus. Next objection or question is, does God expect us to do this if we're serving him in other ways. The idea is, if I can't afford to tithe, I will serve God with my time, and that is a substitute for my financial giving. And this idea makes sense in our heads. The problem is we don't see it anywhere in Scripture. We see God teaching us to return the tithe financially, and we see the New Testament teaching us that we all have gifts to use as a part of the body. They're not swappable sides, Right? It's not like broccoli or green beans. God calls us to do both. They serve two completely different functions. He calls us to do both. If you give faithfully financially um, through Evident Church, I just want to say thank you. 
If you serve faithfully using your gifts, thank you. We are called to do both. Another question is, does God expect us to do this if we are struggling financially? And I want to be as sensitive as I possibly can because I'm not going to pretend that I know everyone's situations or your situation. I can only give you counsel and advice from my own life and from what I see in the Word of God. I know that financial struggles are unique, and it's a hardship like few other things. It's one of the most stressful things a person could go through. I know God is loving and gracious and does not want us to struggle financially. However, I also believe this, that the way to freedom and victory is never to obey God less, but always to obey God more. The path forward is never less obedience to God, but always more and greater obedience to God. And if you begin tithing, um, it doesn't mean that you'll, you won't go through challenges, but what it does mean is that you can count on God always coming through and having your back. You can choose to do it on your own if you want to, but why would you? I believe this as well. God always equips us for the life that he calls us to live. Do you believe that, church? God will never call you to do something that he won't also provide everything you need for. But what he doesn't do is promise to foot the bill for a life that he hasn't called you to live. We can't say, God, I'm going to choose to live life my way, and then you have to foot the bill for what I choose to do. It's, God, my life is surrendered to you. I'm living my life your way, and I can trust without a shadow of a doubt he will provide everything I need to live the life he's called me to live. God never promised to finance my Corvette, but he does promise to take care of my needs. Um, Randy Elkhorn, in his book uh, called Managing God's Money, uh, presented a really interesting scenario. He said, what would happen in your life if your income were suddenly reduced by 10%? That'd be a big hit, right? And many people have experienced that and more. But as you work through the scenario, what he said was, um, he went through some questions. He said, would you die? Would you die if your income was reduced by 10%? You guys don't want to answer these questions, do you? <laughs> you know me too well. <laughs> the answer is no, right? It would feel like we're going to die, but you would not die physically. Would you starve? No. You would not starve. What we would do is we would figure out a way to make it work, wouldn't we? We would cut the Netflix. We would stop eating out as much. We would find a way to make it work. And his point is simply this. It's not that we're not able to, but oftentimes that we're not willing to. That's challenging. We're not willing to adjust our standard of living or the way that we go about what we do. We're just not willing to, oftentimes. Not every time, but oftentimes. This is very interesting. There's a website called globalrichlist.com. And what you can do is you can plug in your income level, and it'll tell you where you rank in the world as far as wealth gatherers. So if you plug in $50,000, maybe annual household income of $50,000, uh, here's what it says. You are in the top 0.31% of the wealthiest people in the world. You didn't know this, did you? You didn't know you were so wealthy, did you? It gives us a really good comparison. If you plug in $100,000, what 
which many people in our communities have that as a household income, you're in the top 0.08% of the wealthiest people in the world. It really gives us perspective, doesn't it? At $50,000 a year, you're making roughly $26 an hour. The average laborer in Zimbabwe makes 53 cents in that same amount of time. Your salary, your monthly salary, could pay the salary of 224 doctors in Pakistan. Many people will ask the question, why am I struggling financially? And many of us say, if God, if you just gave me a little bit more, then I could be faithful to do these things. But it actually works the other way around. God says, if you're faithful to do these things, then I will be able to give you more. And I'm not saying this is your case. There may be lots of reasons why people struggle financially, but I just want to point out what Scripture points out. And Scripture points out that it may be because if you're not being faithful to return the tithe, that may be why you're struggling financially. Now, please don't hear, I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm just trying to point out what Malachi just taught us, that if you're not returning to God, God, you're robbing from him. And not only are your finances not blessed, but they may also be cursed. It's not me saying that. That's what Scripture is saying. A question for you to think about is, do your finances feel like they're blessed or they feel like they're cursed? So here's one of my stories, a way that God helped uh, get this in my heart. When I was in college, I was, a, I was a follower of Jesus, and I was taking a full load of classes, probably had four or five classes, and I was working as a part-time uh, manager at a soccer zone uh, sports facility, working about 20 hours a week to try to pay for my car and gas and books, and I didn't have a lot of money, but I knew the importance of this principle, and I, for the most part, lived according to that as much as I was able to, but this season of my life, as I was attending uh, my brother's church, he was a pastor in the area, um, I, was, I was delayed in returning the tithe back to God, and I, the Holy Spirit was saying, Josh, you need, to, you need to do this, you need to take care of this, you need to be obedient in this area, and I was feeling that conviction, but I was dragging my feet, I kept forgetting my checkbook, I get whatever it was. And God was, you know, lovingly encouraging me. And I knew the amount. The amount was $170, right? $170 was, I knew, I had faded out in my head. So one night I was working as a manager at, at the soccer zone there, and um, a lady comes in frantically to work, and she says, hey, someone just broke into my car in the parking lot. Uh, so as a manager, I went out, and it was nighttime, went out to see what was going on, and she had parked right next to my car. I was like, well, I've got a flashlight in my car. Let me grab my flashlight so we can see what the damage is and what they took and all this kind of stuff. As I went to open up the passenger side door of my car, my window was also smashed out, and they took some stuff out of my car as well. I'm like, that's fantastic. So the next day, I went uh, to the local glass repair shop to get my window fixed, and guess how much it cost to fix my window? You've heard this story, haven't you? You know. Cost $170. I'm like, all right, God, I, I gotcha. I hear it. I hear it. Now, some people hear that story and go, well, that sounds really mean of God. That's, that's love. That's loving for God to help teach me a principle at a low risk level that will be, that will be a, a thing that will help me and reward me the rest of my life. Does that make sense? Yeah. So uh, the next Sunday, I gave my tithe <laughs> and I fixed my, my window, right? Um, I'm thankful for the way that God does that. Some people say, uh, you know, if God, you give me more, then I'll do it. But it, just, it doesn't get easier. The dollar amounts just get bigger. I heard this fun story. Uh, there are two guys that uh, were stranded on a, a desert island. For some reason, that's how pastor stories. It's either, anyway, no, 
But uh, they're there, they're having a conversation, and the one guy says to the other one, he says, um, he, says he's, he wasn't worried about getting rescued. He says, I make millions of dollars a year. Um, we'll be fine. The other guy's like, well, how does that help you? He said, well, I tithe, and I know my pastor will find me. So anyway, it's a bad story. Bad story. <laughs> I can see the pastor, you know, in the, in the, uh, the search and rescue plane. We got to find him. Uh, so what should I do? What should I do? With all of this, what should I do? Let me, let me give you some, some of my perspective. I've heard lots of different advice. Some people ask the question, should I begin giving gradually and increase my giving? Should I, should I give all at once? Should I, should I begin doing this all at once? Let me just say this first of all. If you're not giving at all, you should be giving. At this point, at this, it's not a matter of the amount. It's a matter of the condition of your heart. Um, what is really the reason why you're not giving? Ask yourself that question. Some people say, I don't trust the church, and I get it. I understand that. There's been way too many abuses, but don't allow other people's abuses for you to hurt yourself in robbing God of what he's instructed you to do. They will have to answer for that. You'll have to answer for what you do. I want to encourage you with this. If you don't trust the leaders at the church that you're a part of, there's two options. You talk to those leaders and share your concerns, or uh, by God's direction, you find another place to be a part of. Sometimes in churches, churches get unhealthy where people start to withhold their tithe from the church as a way to manipulate the leadership of a church. That is not right. That is unhealthy. That is wrong. Okay, so I want to encourage you, um, if you can't trust the leaders at your church, lovingly, I want to encourage you to say, um, please find a different church that you can trust, that you can be a part of uh, financially. Does that make sense? Secondly, I would say this. Let me give you a scenario. I'll propose it to you this way. If your problem or issue is robbing banks, and you were to say, um, I'm going to rob fewer banks this year, <laughs> we probably wouldn't do that, would we? So if this is a suggestion from God, it's like, yeah, I'm just going to increase my giving. I'm going to become more generous. But if this is, as Scripture clearly says, robbing God, I'm not going to rob God a single more day in my life. I'm not going to continue doing this. I don't want that to be the way that I am going about it. Now, it may not be as simple as to start tithing and everything else gets better. You're not going to maybe automatically find a million-dollar check in your mail tomorrow. If you do, make sure you tithe on it, right? <laughs> sorry, too soon? Too soon? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, you may have worked yourself into something that you have to work yourself out of, but I would begin by making that choice, that decision to begin returning to God what is his, and then do the work necessary to work yourself out of where you are. My wife and I, for eight years, we operated with one vehicle. And it wasn't because we wanted to do that. It was because this is one of the necessary decisions we had to make financially to make it work so we could honor God with our finances. For the past four years, my wife and I, our family, we have given 20% of our income back to the church. The first 10% 
as an act of obedience to God to return the tithe. The other 10% as a part of the next campaign felt God challenging us to do what's called a double tithe. And I'm not telling you that to impress you. I'm telling that to you to challenge you. Our household income is not impressive, but God is so faithful. There's no other way that I can explain it, that things, opportunities would come along at just the right time. In fact, uh, as many of you know that I teach a college class. You want to know how many years I've been doing that? Four years. God provided this as some extra income for these past four years for us to be able to stay true to the commitments that we felt him leading us to make. And we've seen God's faithfulness. We've been blessed in so many ways. It's not about the financial aspect. It's about God's faithfulness and how we've been able to experience that in our lives. I want to challenge you to take that step. So practically speaking, uh, how do we do it? Um, Here at Evident, uh, there's three main ways that you can give. And you go to our website, evidentchurch.com. There's a Give tab. Three primary ways people give here. Number one is physical or in person. This is with checks or with cash, either in the offering that's passed or in uh, like a mail-in, che- mail-in envelope. Number two, we also do have uh, text to give options. Welcome to 2019. Um, you can text any dollar amount to 84321. It'll send you a link to set up uh, a giving profile. It has you select. There's, there's a number of churches that use this service. Make sure you select Evident Church. All right? Um, and that's one option. The third option is online. Again, this is on our website. Um, you can do it two ways online, either through debit, credit card, or th- directly through a bank account. Um, and uh, I want to encourage you to do it directly through the bank account. Here's why. When you do it through debit or credit card, uh, Evident gets hit with a 3% fee. So not all of your funds are getting to where you want them to go. When you do it directly through a bank account, uh, you have full control of the transactions. You do one time, you can do regular. It's only a 25 cent per transaction fee, much different than 3%. So that is our preferred method. That's what Raylan and I do. That, those are the last four digits of our bank account right there. All you get is the last four. That's it. <laughs> but that's what we've chosen to do. So what we do is every single month, we sit down and we set a budget for the coming month. Every dollar has a job. Savings, eating out, fun money, uh, tithing, giving off the top, and everything else after that. And then we monthly, at the first of every single month, this comes out of our account. We call it automatic faithfulness. All right, it's just our way of being obedient and making sure that we're doing this that God has called us to do. At this point in our church, 55% of, our, of the church's giving comes in through online giving. So if you see the bucket passed and you see some people not putting something, don't judge them, all right? Uh, they may be giving online. So here's two steps I want to challenge you to take. Uh, number one, we're doing something between now and the end of the year called the three-month tithe challenge. Uh, we just simply want to give you a tool to take this step because we know it can be a scary step. Uh, what that means is that uh, you can decide the start date, and uh, we're making a commitment to you as a, as a church that if at the end of three months you're not convinced of God's faithfulness, um, it's a no risk, no strings attached, you can request all of your giving back. Uh, for that three-month period of time. Uh, We believe in this principle that God has given to us. So there's a form, actually, the elders, uh, the the elders, the uh, ushers are going to pass out uh, that form. Go ahead and do that uh, for them. And it just gives some instructions about what you can do to fill this out. Um, You can submit it. um, These Sundays in the offering basket, you could also, there's an an email address you could email that to. Uh, There's also going to be a form online. We'll send a link out this week. Uh, You could do this online as well. 
Just a way for you to have some confidence in taking that step and some accountability and encouragement um, as well. So that is one step I would challenge you to take, to prayerfully take. And then the second step is this. In the, toward the end of December, we're going to be having a special offering called our For the Love Christmas Offering. And this is going to go uh, for a couple of things, but uh, to help our benevolence giving for this coming year um, and also for some of our future uh, plans for expansion I'm here to complete the building. We'll tell you, tell you more about that in the next couple of weeks. Um, so let's have one last question, and then we'll wrap up. Last question is this. If I do this, the question we're all wrestling with is, if I do this, will God provide? That is, that is the question, yes. right? That is the question. Those who are saying yes confidently, uh, they have seen God's faithfulness. I want to tell you real quickly, though, about a story that not many of you would know about in the history of our church. Um, Evident began in uh, September of 2008. What else was happening in the fall of 2008? The recession, right? Right then, fall of 2008, Evident's like, yeah, we're going to start a church right during the recession. But God, God is, is pretty smart, right? He knows that people are looking for answers. So that's when we began. Our desire as a church has always been to be a multiplying church, which means we want to multiply ministries and churches and do what we can. Uh, but one year into our church plant, we found ourselves, what we would pro- probably call, um, had an, un- an unexpected pregnancy as a church, which means there was a group of people that were um, heading out from our church to start another church. And uh, that was December of 2009. We were a one-year-old church, averaging 100 people. And uh, there were 40 people being sent with this group to start this church. In January of 2010, all of our, fin- our outside financial help was also dropping off. So as a pastor, I was, that's one of the hardest things that I've ever gone through. And we didn't know what was going to happen in January. Because not only, you know, 40, 40% of the people, what goes with 40% of the people? 40% of the giving, right? <laughs> these, were, these were great, faithfully, uh, faithful families. And we didn't know what was, our, our income was getting reduced by not only 40%, but also the outside help was getting reduced as well. It looked to me like it was done. One of the hardest seasons we've ever gone through. And I'm not going to say my heart was always right, but we laid hands on those who were getting ready to go. We prayed for them, we commissioned them, and we sent them. And come January, um, without skipping a beat, a group of 30 people came from another church that had just closed. And that group linked up with Evident Church. So we didn't see a single dip in attendance. We didn't see a single dip in financial giving whatsoever. Only God knows what is around the corner. Only God knows, like me with, my, like, like me with Annabelle, I've got the whole bag of Skittles behind my back. Only God knows. So on paper, it may not make sense. It may not look like it's going to work. But God's math is different than our math. I promise you that God wants something for you and not from you. And as I think about this, um, I think the cross is proof enough that God wants something for you and not from you. And I want to challenge you. We trust God with our salvation. Let's also trust him with our finances. Amen, church? Let's go ahead and stand together, and we're going to pray. 
and have one closing song here. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this, uh, this church family. I know that uh, a talk like this is not easy. And I thank you for their willingness to be challenged. God, I thank you, though, really we need to be singing your praises. Say, God, you are faithful. You are a generous God. God, you are a God of abundance and not scarcity. God, teach us. This is not easy, but please teach us um, to let go of our control and trust you. I thank you, God. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you found this message personally meaningful. For more information on Evident Church, be sure to visit us online at evidentchurch.com.